the eye. We're gone to be with him. Three reasons why I believe the rapture is near. And uh, the reason I'm preaching this this morning, because in my whole ministry, 42 years of preaching, I have preached on the second coming of Christ. And I always in my prayer life, and I say, Lord, when are you going to come? And uh, you know that, that that is a time that only our Father knows. And uh, I don't believe in date setting. But as I read the scriptures, Jesus is always concerned about the church understanding the signs of the time. Jesus wants us to be ready. Be ready in such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. And it's just as quick as the video we just saw. The rapture. The rapture is nothing you're going to have time to prepare for, except for now. This is the time that we get ready, because when it happens, you won't even have an afterthought, and you're going to find yourself in a complete another, another dimension of life. My text is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 17. We tell you this directly from the Lord. This is Paul. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, raptured in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, then we will be with the Lord forever. Now, the, the Bible and the biblical teaching of the rapture is an amazing truth to wrap your head around. We have a lot of new believers in our church. And I remember about two years ago, I, I preached about the second coming of Jesus. And I remember speaking about the rapture. And I remember looking on the faces of, of some people who've never heard about the rapture before never had been really introduced to the Bible. And I remember their faces were like, what? In fact, to them, this was something like a Steven Spielberg movie. They just were like, and I had some of them talk to me later, and they said, Is, was that just some kind of symbolism? Or do you really literally believe that we will bodily be snatched up into heaven after the dead are raised? And I said, it is a literal event that is going to happen, the rapture. It's something that we need to prepare for. Why? Because just as Jesus was real, that walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, so are the teachings of Jesus that he left for us because he said this one thing, behold, I am coming back. And when I come back, I'm coming back to receive you unto myself. And he's talking about the church. The rapture is the end of the church age. I'm a, what they call a dispensationalist. I believe there are different ages of time. That's why I don't believe that every verse in the Bible is, is uh, aimed at every one of us at all times because not every promise in the book is mine because there are promises of the word to, to different people in different ages of time. And I believe that, that this is the age of the church. This is the age of what we call the age of the Holy Spirit. But when the church age is completed and God has has sent the gospel around the world to every human being, Jew or Gentile, that when the church age comes to a close, 
God is going to come back and he's going to deal with the nation of Israel. The church is going to be taken out of the way, and then it becomes the next era of time. It is called the age of Israel. This is what we call Daniel's 70th week. This is, there are seven years that God is going to work upon this earth, and he's going to prepare the nation of Israel. He's going to clean up evil once, once and for all on the face of the earth, liars and corruption, and we've seen our, our, our cup of that. All of these things will be purged in the seven-year tribulation. This is God cleaning up this world because at the end of that tribulation period is going to become the greatest battle of all time called Armageddon. This is where Satan finally gets enough nerve in his delusion that he thinks he's going to fight Jesus Christ in the heavens in the, what we call at the end of the seven-year tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and he comes to, may I say, Jerusalem. And he's going to plant his feet on the eastern gate, and he is going to enter in, and he's going to set up his kingdom. But in the meanwhile, the Satan is so jealous of Jesus Christ that he will rally the armies of this world, and they will meet in the valley of Megiddo, and they shall fight against the Almighty. And they're going to lose. Because with the word of his mouth, the God who spoke the world into creation. The, world that, the, the word of God that spoke the worlds into existence. The word of God will slice and dismember all of the men and the corruptions of the Antichrist. The Bible says that four foot of blood shall rise in the valley of Megiddo. And Jesus Christ will come as the triumphant king and he will come with a rod of iron. And he shall rule and reign in this wicked world. And it will no longer be a democracy where men vote their wills and wishes, but rather it will be a theocracy, a God that runs the government. And may I say, that is the best government we need. Praise his name. <laughs> he himself will rule. The rapture. He's going to take us home to be with him. Imagine going about your business one day and wham, you find yourself immediately transitioned into another dimension of life. You, you find yourself in another reality of life. Your thinking won't change. Your personality won't change. Your consciousness will not change. Your relationships with others will not change. But immediately you find that you're no longer living in the realm of life that you're used to. But now you are in the heavenlies. And now you find yourself with a host of other believers and you hear the anthem of praise and the center focus of it all in the heavens is Jesus Christ and we will be ushered to the kingdom of God. It's called the rapture. There will be many, many dramatic changes. The Bible says, and we shall all be changed. And then he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, your spiritual awareness will be heightened. Your new glorified body will feel different and extremely energetic, dynamic, and for the first time, extremely healthy. And all God's people said? Amen. Your new environment will be awe-inspiring and jaw-dropping. Your new purpose of life will be exhilarating and dramatic. Your, your new experience will be a rush of new strength and profound healing. Your new joyful disposition will be surprising because your depression will be gone. 
Your new life experience and absence of burdens and sorrows will be passed. Your new life will be filled with extreme joy and peace and fulfillment. Your new experience will bring into you a loving and immediate reunion with loved ones. No tension, no schism, no pretension. Your new perspective of Jesus Christ will be radically changed. You knew him on earth. You heard his name mentioned in sermons, and you heard him sung in wonderful songs like our praise team. You've heard his name, and you've heard him in Sunday school, and you've heard of him, but he's more like a historical religious figure to you. He's somebody that you kind of put in a box. When, when, when you need him, you pull him out and use him like a genie. You think he's some kind of cosmic bellhop that'll help you in your time of need. But when you get to heaven, you'll find that he's the central part of life. He is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And oh, like a wave, you will be drawn to the magnet of his glory and his beauty. His blazing holiness will strike at the depth of your heart and something will drive you to your knees and you will cry out, holy, holy, holy is he. What an amazing day that's going to be. The rapture. An amazing event. The Bible says this event in the scriptures is promised to every believer that is living in the church age, especially to those that are living in this generation. Matthew 16, 3, Jesus said this. He said, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky. Before you go to work in the morning, you look out the window and you, you try to discern, this looks like a rainy day, or this is going to be a beautiful sunny day. The, the Bible says that we have the ability to discern the weather, but he says, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. That's what Jesus said. This morning, I'd like to look at three reasons why I believe the rapture is near. I want you to look with me at the signs of the times. Now, I don't know when he's going to come, but I do know this. He is coming. I believe with all my heart, by looking at the signs of the time, there is a discernment that that time is very near, the imminent return of Christ, and Christ likes it. When we look for his return, the Bible says, he that has this hope in him purifieth himself. In other words, he's getting ready because he realizes he doesn't have a chance to get ready at the last second before the rapture. It is something we are not going to be able to announce. We might not be here next Sunday. We all might be in heaven if you're saved and you know Christ is Savior. Isn't that a hallelujah thought? Amen. We might all be in heaven. But this morning, I want to share with you three reasons why I personally, as a preacher, and as I pray and as I looked over the scriptures even uh, this past week, and, and I was thinking about preaching something else, and God kept bringing me back to this. And he says, I want you to prepare my people. I want you to speak the truth into their hearts. I want you to give them the scriptures, and I want them to speak what I've laid on your heart. And this morning, being led by the Holy Spirit, this morning, I hope and pray that your soul is wide open to the Lord. I hope you are in the spirit of reception, that you will receive the things I'm going to share with you this morning. Now, there are three thoughts. Number one is the first reason I believe the rapture is near is because of the, the rise or the resurrection of the nation of Israel. If you really want to watch God's time clock of when he's going to return, watch Israel. 
In fact, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 9 says, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. I think one of the most exciting things that happened in the 1900s, and that was the birth of Israel as a nation of May of 1948. It was more than just the fulfillment of a dream that was held across the past 2,000 years. It was a modern fulfillment of ancient biblical history. You see, according to scriptures, God promised that although he would banish the Jews temporarily from their land, but because of their disobedience, he would in the latter days, in the last days, right before he comes, he will bring them back and reestablish them in the land. The prophet Jeremiah wrote of a great restoration in the last days that would overshadow the exodus out of Egypt. This is what he says, Jeremiah the prophet says, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, for I will restore them to the land I gave their ancestors in the last days. I will bring back my people. Finally, the prophet Isaiah declared, can a nation be born in a moment? Can a nation be born in a second? Yet no sooner in Zion in labor does she give birth to her children, Isaiah 66, 8. For the Jewish people, a quest for a homeland that took almost 2,000 years was ended by a vote that just took three minutes. And within one hour, within one hour, the nation of Israel was reinstated as a nation. And although it was miraculous, it didn't come without a struggle. Now, there are three miraculous events that took place in bringing Israel back, the resurrection of the nation of Israel, a nation that has been non-existent for 2,000 years, folks. The 12 tribes were scattered abroad the face of the earth. All the records were gone. No one even knew who the, the, the actual Jewish people were and the ancestors. All of those things were decimated. 70 years after the death of Christ. And they were a scattered people. And the Bible says in the last day, I will call all 12 tribes back together and bring them into their homeland. Three supernatural events of this miracle. Number one, the miracle of regathering Jewish people from all nations. You see, the history of Israel cannot be told apart from the modern miracle of God's regathering of his people <clears throat> scattered to the four corners of the earth. The regathering began back in the 19th century as Jewish settlers, fueled by their faith and conviction, came back to the land of their fathers. They cleared the swamps and they revived the language of Hebrew and they brought back their coins, the shekel, and they began to establish their own commerce. It's interesting that under the days of King Saul, a man who didn't walk after the spirit but walked into the flesh, he was one of the kings of Israel. And because of his fleshly, carnal reign, he created a civil, civil war with the nation of Israel. Ten tribes of northern Israel were scattered. They were carried into Assyria. The lower of Judah, the last two tribes, were carried off into Babylon. And they were a scattered people, became slaves after that. And from that point on, since the days of King Saul, before King David, Israel has never been together as the 12 tribes. And miraculously, here we are living 
in October of 2018, and just recently they have said that all 12 tribes are all now, like lost sheep, brought back into the national fold of Israel. This is a miracle. In 1948, the floodgates opened up and millions of Jews have returned to their land. Ancient Jewish communities, perhaps even those who have had descendants of the lost tribes, all have now found their way. And because of DNA testing, they are coming to prove that they are truly all 12 tribes resuming their place in Israel. The land of Israel that once was a wasteland it was a land that was trampled over by the Gentiles. The trees were cut down, and there was no vegetation and no agriculture, and the land just became a dry dust bowl. And the Bible says, in the last days, I will pour my spirit upon the land, and it shall flourish like the gardens of Eden. And today, the, 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 the land of Israel is one of the most beautiful places of real estate on the face of the earth. And God has caused the land to flourish and the people to flourish. And today, Israel is calling out for people into the world with their tourist attraction. Come to, to Israel. Come to Jerusalem. Come and see the place where God dwells. The miracle, the regathering of the people. And then there's the miracle, the rebuilding of the temple. There were two basic temples built. The first one was built by Solomon in 950 years before Christ. It was built after the pattern of the tabernacle in the wilderness given to Moses to house the Ark of the Covenant. It was later destroyed by the Babylonians 586 B.C., eventually rebuilt by the remnant that returned from cap captivity 70 years later by the leadership of Nehemiah. Then there was the second temple that was built, and it was built by Herod the Great during the latter part of the first century before Christ. And it was built on such a magnificent scale, it became one of the greatest wonders of the world. And Jesus predicted, after the Jews told Jesus, we're going to crucify you. We don't, we don't want to receive your message. And God wept. He says, oh, if you were like, uh, like chicks, I could put you underneath my wings and protect you. But in your judgment of me, in your crucifixion of me, he says, I'm going to tell you, the curse is going to be upon you. And this city of Jerusalem shall be destroyed and you won't find one stone stacked on the other. In 70 AD, Titus, angry at Jerusalem, came in and literally pulverized and destroyed the temple. And from that point on, many millions of Jewish people were massacred and the Jewish people spread to the four corners of the earth. And from that time on, the Israeli people have been a scattered people, a lost people with no nation and without, a, without a, a cause to worship. During the seventh century, about 600 something AD after the death of Christ, Jerusalem came under the control of the Muslims and they built a mosque over the holies of holies. That's the place where Abraham gave up Isaac. The mosque was a place to remind everyone that is the place where Allah died and there he was ascended up to heaven and it's considered to be the most sacred spot. And today there is this tug of war because the third 
temple, from the Temple Institute. They want to rebuild this temple. And by the way, this third temple is the temple where the Antichrist is going to step inside the holiest of holies and declare himself to be God and declare that every man need to worship him. The rebuilding of the temple is significant because in order for the t- tribulation to begin, there must be a reestablishment of the land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and a temple erected in order to fulfill the prophecy of the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation. Now the temple institute has come together. Number three is the provisions of the instrument of the new temple. They already have the prefab walls built. They have got uh, the golden bowls put together, the vessels, the utensils, the ceremony services, the priestly garments, holy instruments for the Levitical choir. All of these things have been put together and they are ready. They're ready just to find their spot to build this temple quickly. And they are going to erect this temple. And right now, over $27 million has already been spent in building this great temple, the start of this temple. They're just waiting for the final place to build. But my friend, before this temple is built, the church of Jesus Christ has got to be raptured. A large portion of the financial support of that $27 million actually have come from evangelical Christians. There are 70 million evangelical Christians around the world, and most of them have become the the strongest supporters of the nation of Israel. It's interesting. The church is passing the baton over to the nation of Israel because the church is getting ready to leave. What's God doing? He's getting the people of God to pray for Israel, to support financially Israel, to strengthen Israel because she's going to go through through the, the hardest times of its, of its existence. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, seven years. It's interesting, one morning, I'll never forget, I heard on the news that there's a red heifer that was born in Israel. It's been a while. And I remember hearing the news that the red heifer, and the red heifer is nothing but more but a red cow. And I thought to myself, this, and they said on the news that this is the highlight of the nation of Israel. This is a sign to them, and there hasn't been a red heifer for 2,000 years. Now this red heifer was born in, in, in Israel, and they are so excited because the red heifer is very important if they want to rebuild the third temple. You see, as Jewish people, they're considered impure. And there are certain ceremonial rituals that they must perform in order to be accepted of God to actually construct this third temple. And this red heifer was born. You're saying, what what significant is that? Because Numbers chapter 19 says that, that there has to be a red heifer before they begin to do anything for the Lord. The, the red heifer, the blood has got to be sacrificially taken from the animal. The, the high priest then sprinkles it toward the eastern sky. And then they burn this red heifer. This red heifer who has to be perfect, no blemish. Then they take the ashes from that red heifer. They mix it into natural water. And this becomes the purification for them to handle to do the things of God. In order for them to put on the priestly 
costumes, they had to have this ritualistic purification. In order for the priests to be able to assemble anything of the temple or the builders, it had to have the red heifer's ashes mixed in natural water. And for the first time in 2,000 years, the red heifer has been born, which to the people of Israel, they're waiting for the maturation of this red cow. And when this red cow is ready to go, they're going to sacrifice it. But my friend, that tells me when the red heifer was born, one has and being found on the earth for 2,000 years. The people of Israel are ecstatic because they're now saying, God is preparing the nation of Israel to build her temple. But what I'm telling you is this, that if the temple is, starts within a year, then we got to be out of here before the nation of Israel takes over and the age of Israel starts and the tribulation is commenced. The red heifer. And then I want you to look at the second reason why I believe the rapture is near, and that is because of the, the rise of the revived Roman Empire. Now, if you're sitting here, you're like, man, I don't even know what in the world you're talking about. Just bear with me for a moment. The rise of the revived Roman Empire, Revelation 13, 3 and 4 says, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. The beast is this one world power. The Roman Empire collapsed and died in 476 AD. The Roman Catholic Church has kept the Roman Empire barely in an unconscious state in the centuries in the basements of its church. The EU will be the platform and the home base for the Antichrist during the tribulation period. The European Union is the very basis of preparing a superpower. These are the original components or members of the old Roman Empire. It's called the Iron and the Bible said that Daniel got a vision that in the last days there is a nation that is mixed with iron, the old original members of the Roman Empire, mixed with clay, which were new members of the Roman Empire. And there is this conglomeration of clay and iron, and they do not mix. It's fragile. And we all know today that the EU has its complications of coming together. We know that there's something fragile about the EU. But the good news is, is that the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire, has now revealed itself. It's now the carcass of it is up and going. And the home headquarters of that is in Brussels, Belgium. And now they have what they call the ten divisions of the world. The Bible talks about the ten horns. These are ten divisions. And now they're ready to appoint ten men to oversee these ten divisions. And when that comes to pass, one of those ten is going to be the Antichrist. He's called the little horn. And out of these ten presidents, one is going to rise called a little horn. He's going to overcome three of these other positional kings, and he is going to dominate the world, and he'll be the Antichrist. Now, I believe there are six reasons why the EU is the final world empire. Number one, the European Union emerged at the same time as the nation of Israel. Israel 
was resurrected in 1948, and then right on the heels of that in 1951, the first six countries got together and established the resurrection of the old revived Roman Empire. The European Union is well into progress of stitching back together the former Roman Empire, as Daniel prophesied. The EU has grown into the largest economy in the world, even larger than the United States. And at some point, though, the EU must morph into its current weak, brittle condition into something that's strong enough for the Antichrist to take over. And all of this established work is now put together. It's put together. Europe is already a superpower. Though Europe occupies only 6% of the Earth's surface, has only 12% of the Earth's population, it holds 40% of the world's wealth and conducts more than 50% of the world's commerce. The euro is the world's strongest currency, and the EU is the world's largest trade market. Bureaucrats in Brussels now make business regulations that really govern the affairs of the whole world. The French president grandly proclaimed not too long ago, Europe will become the number one power in the multi-power world of tomorrow. It is the world's largest market. It is the, the nation's largest standing army. EU has its own currency. It has its own flag. It has its own national anthem. The EU has foreign and security policies. It has its own central banking system. The EU just formed its own border control and coast guard. It is a superpower that is on the rise. And then number two, the European Union aligns itself with a worldwide religion. There is, the European Union finds the importance of tying together the one world church with the one world government. The ideology of the EU finds its basis in the Catholic thought, representing the horror sitting on the top of the beast under the direction of the Roman Catholic Church. The EU has been fueled and energized by the Vatican and by the popes in the past. The principal investments enshrined in the EU comes from the Catholic teaching. In fact, the papacy has, has its say, it has its authority with the EU institutions, which is made up of bishops delegated by 26 Catholic bishops uh, conferences of the European Union as a permanent official now and an office in Brussels. Several of the EU founding fathers were Catholics. The symbol of the woman riding on the beast is the one world church that has come together in a conglomeration and it gives its power and gives its religious authority to the political system of the world. That's Revelation chapter 17. And then thirdly, the EU seeks global rule in the cup of the whore. The EU is a modern tower of Babel. In fact, they even built their buildings in a very type, a very look of the Tower of Babel, which is the architectural structure of these buildings, because it is sending a message to the world. We want to unite people and nations of different tongues within their own empires to come and to give up their sovereign rights and join the one world unification. And then fourth, it fits the iron and clay analogy Daniel said this in chapter 2, verse 43, as you saw iron mixed with clay, then there will be the mingling of the seed of men, but they will not adhere one to another, just as iron does not mix with clay. In other words, before 
the tribulation begins, or at the commencement of the tribulation period. The Antichrist is going to get involved in the European Union. He's going to use religion to gather the influence around the world. He's going to set up his political system, and they will have an economic one-world system, and he will control the world, and he will divide the world up in ten kingdoms, and these ten men shall rule, and he shall sit on the seat of the domination of world rule. But the ten toes made up of iron and clay speak of the weakness and the fragile conditions. And all of these will be fragile and not adhere. The Bible says at the second coming of Christ, the ten toes, the ten federated divisions of the world, all of these are going to be lined up. And by the way, they are already assigned all of these things are set in place as I read about the EU, and I read about it all the time because that is the revived Roman Empire. They're proud of it. They want to bring it back. It was the head that was wounded in 476 AD after it, it died, but now it comes back and it's revived, and now it's mixed with clay. It's weaker, it's inferior, but it has a dominant king, the little horn, which is the Antichrist. But the Bible says that in the final rule of the European Union and under the rule of the Antichrist, there's a little white stone that comes from the eastern sky, and it comes down and it breaks up the clay, it breaks up the iron, and it is blown away because it's in preparation of the coming of Jesus Christ to planet earth and he shall set up his rule over top of all of the heap of the destruction of the unions of the world. Number five is the ten nation federation, the ten toes. Number six is the technology connected with the mark of the beast. The EU science has fundings of technological projects. The EU is on a quest for the development of new tech technologies for the economic growth, and it would bring their economy to the strongest apex. The EU countries lead the world in a cashless payment system, and it fits and parallels many other predictions in Bible prophecy is now lining up as part of the age of the empires that one day will evolve into the leading most powerful world empire, which will be headed by the Antichrist. I thought to myself the other day, I, it, just, it just hit me. It just hit me. Today we're seeing already the implant of little things they're putting in their hands. It, it's called the RFID microchip, and now it's becoming commonplace. It's a transponder encased in a silicate glass about the size of a, of, of a, a grain of rice, and it slid under the right hand, and inside that little, little encasement is all the information, your social security number, all the issues about your health, everything that people need to know about you. It is the best guard against uh, people stealing your security. All of these things are implanted, and when you wave it in front of these different computers, it will allow you to participate in any kind of commerce or any kind of involvement with business. Go home and Google the RFID microchip, and you will be shocked of the phrase and the heading that you'll hear, the microchip is here. The microchip is here. Many parts of the world, it's already commonplace. They're using it. The United States, there are many places in Wisconsin, many major corporations are already embracing this. 
and it's coming our way. When I read this and see all of these things, it reminds me that the end is near. And then number three, the rise of the convergence of signs. Matthew 16, 3, Jesus said, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. A woman's labor is like a short time of pain that will lead her to the joy of delivering a child. A seven-year period of time is quickly approaching when Israel will be persecuted like never before. The greatest holocaust of all, Israel went through a great holocaust in the 1940s under Adolf Hitler. Six million Jews were exterminated, and many say many more than six million. But the greatest holocaust to the Jewish people is yet ahead. The Bible, the Old Testament prophets said there's many as 40 million that will die and be persecuted during the tribulation period. The whole world will be shaken. The whole world will experience a darkness. And God himself from the heavens will judge this world and judge the works of unrighteousness. But at the same time, he will preserve his people and he will preserve a remnant because at the end of the tribulation period, when the people of Israel is about ready to be exterminated, when they're about ready to be put out, Jesus Christ is going to come screaming out of the eastern sky, crying out the battle cry. The church will be behind him, arrayed in white, and we're going to come down in the battle of Armageddon, and he's going to destroy the Antichrist. He's going to destroy the devil. He's going to destroy the works of darkness. He's going to destroy the false prophet. All religious systems will be annihilated. The political systems will be leveled low. Jesus Christ will come and make his way to planet Earth. He will save his people. He will go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be the headquarters in the Millennium Kingdom. It will be the the only eternal state, the only eternal nation that will ever survive. And if you want God's blessing in your life, you better choose and you better embrace and you better pray for Israel because they are God's people. What are the signs? Man, the other day I was, I was watching the news and I was reading and I looked at the scriptures in Ezekiel chapter 37. You ought to read Ezekiel 37. Maybe I'll do that tonight before you go to bed. But Ezekiel 37 is a picture uh, that Ezekiel got of a picture of Israel being restored to its rightful land, which we're living and seeing happen today. Ezekiel went to this desert. It, and, and as he went to this desert plate, it was, it was nothing but sand, but he noticed in the sand pieces of bone sticking up everywhere, the bones of men bleached in the sun. And, and Jesus, through the word, told Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, preach to them. And, of course, Ezekiel said, God, these bones are dead. And Jesus said, preach. And Ezekiel prophesied over these bones. And the Bible says there came a wind from the four corners of the earth, and these bones came together. There was a, what the Bible says, a rattling. 
And the bones came together. Read this in Ezekiel chapter 37. These bones came together, bone upon bone, and then sinews followed that. And then later on, the flesh came upon them. And the Bible says, from the dust of the earth, from this great dispersion of mankind, of the Jewish people, there arose a mighty army. And that was the restoration of Israel, which we see today. For the first time, all 12 tribes are thriving as we sit here in the land of Israel. The Bible says in the last days, the dustpan of the land of Israel will be flourish, flourishing as the Garden of Eden it is today. But if you go on and you read in Ezekiel chapter 38... The Bible says that after he restores the nation of Israel and she's in her strength, in her final standing, the Bible says that there are five nations and he lists them. There are five nations that are envious, who hate the Jewish people, who have conspired and with a coalition of these five nations will determine in their hearts that they will go down to Israel and they will steal the oil and they will take the resources of Israel and they'll take it to themselves and they want to wipe out every Jewish people. All five of these nations are Muslim. In fact, the Bible gives the names of these guys, Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, and Libya. Well, just recently I've been hearing about the new coalition together by Putin and Russia. Turkey and Iran and Sudan and Libya have now formed forces together. And they said in their secrecy they have a plan. They have a plan. They have a mission We know because we know the scriptures. But the Bible says, you know what? I'm going to put a hook in their their jaw, and I'm going to draw them to the hills of Israel. And as they march, the Bible says, they shall come like a huge cloud, and they shall overtake Israel. And God says, no, after I have restored my people, after I am preparing to build the temple, the third temple, after I have preserved my people to fulfill my purposes on the earth. He said, I myself, the Lord God, will cause the hail to fall a hundred pounds more so, and I will destroy the armies of Russia and Turkey and Iran and Sudan and Libya. I read that. It was like reading a modern newspaper out of the Scriptures. The signs are here. The Bible says in the last days there will be calls for peace and security. The UN are telling President Trump, be quiet about the nation of Israel. We just made the U.S. Embassy and declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. (laughs) Amen. God's going to bless that. God's going to bless it. But not, a, no, not only that, folks. The UN is saying, we want peace. The businesses around the world are 
pulling their attention to Brussels. There's a mocking and a scoffing toward the things of God. I've seen all the protests, the anti-Christian antics. There's the rise of wickedness. There's the change of weather conditions. There's the soaring strong delusion. I saw this the other day. I often wonder when the rapture takes place and millions and millions of believers are taken to be with Christ, what is the lie that the Antichrist is going to say? It hit me there. I was watching the History Channel, and they said, the aliens are going to take people out of the world. And I went, there you go. I had people tell me, the aliens, the aliens. The third temple plans are already put together. The Temple Institute has its finances in place. They're ready just to find the location to begin. And now they got the red heifer. Now they've got the, the ceremony cleansings, the approval of God to begin. Everything is right on the cuspice of beginning. The Middle East alignment and activity, the aggression toward Israel. She has become a trembling stone in the midst of a wicked nation. And then longing for a world leader, they're saying what, what the EU is saying, we have our 10 federation, we have our 10 king, but we need a man, whether he's a beast or a man. We need someone to come and to rule a world without borders. I have so many things I want to share with you, but I realize I can't do that in two hours. All I got to say is, I'm reading my scripture and I'm reading my Bible and I'm realizing that the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church is the first phase of the second coming. It's about to happen. I don't know. I'm not a date setter. Don't believe in date setting. But I do believe in watching the season. And I believe in discerning the times. And I believe we need to be looking for his coming. And as I'm looking, I'm going, oh my goodness, the past six months, there has been so many earth-shaking signs that to the believer, we ought to be sitting on the edge of our seat because the reality of not being here next Sunday is huge. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. You say, well, I just don't know if I believe that in the Bible. I believe every word of God is true. I have no doubt about it that Jesus Christ is coming again. He has moved in my heart. He has ushered and pushed in me to prepare his people. Pastors all across this, the world is basically crying out, something is going to happen. Jesus is about to come. We need to get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Because in such an hour as you think not, he comes. Let's pray. Father, 